here we are back with Embodied Business Inspired Brain Podcast. And I might be without Anne today, but I have in her place an amazing woman who I have known for quite some time and have grown to love and admire deeply. Gwen Miller, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, Chantel. I'm excited to be here. I think it's just, it's always wonderful to get a chance to sit down with you and chat and share ideas. And, you know, we have known each other for a long time and you've been a really important person in my life. You know, it's it's been been years. Really? It really has. And um, maybe we'll end up sharing a little bit of that. But as I reflect in this moment, yeah, it, it has been, we've just grown in a lot of ways together and in support of each other. And then from like these really interesting kind of subtle connections early on uh, in our community and, and now just on a much, much deeper level that it honestly is just my honor to be on this journey with you. And I'm excited to have you here to share what you're up to and to explore the role of embodiment um, and trusting yourself in in taking the steps that you've taken to share your work, which they have been tremendous. And so um, looking forward to sharing that with everybody and, and digging in. We're going to start, however, with what's in process, what's in progress, and um, because that's our ritual, and we like rituals for grounding and creating safety and knowing where we're going and laying the groundwork and all of that good stuff. So Gwen, you asked me a really great question, which I thought I would lift up for everybody listening, which is what's the difference between process and progress? <laughs> and um, it, it made me stop for a second to think like, oh yeah, maybe there isn't that much difference. But the way I see it is um, what's in process is emergent and and progress feels like maybe there's something that's already happened or been achieved, or it's a little bit more like I've reached a goal and now I'm progressing towards something. Progress also makes me think of like, I have an intention that I want to improve or go somewhere, right? Get somewhere different than where I am. Whereas being in process for me, at least is like, I'm just sitting with a thing and I don't know what I'll do with it or if there is anything to do with it or if it will make me better <laughs> or if it's just a passing fancy. So thank you for asking that question and getting me to to think a little bit more deeply about it. So what I would share is something pretty, uh, pretty minutia focused, pretty detailed, um, a tiny little thread that has been making a big impact on me this week. Anne and I, as I was sharing with you, Gwen, are in the midst of um, creating and sharing a six-part workshop series, the first three parts on chronic pain and performance, and the second three parts on the nervous system and behavior change, and then how the, the two meet and how they support each other. And one of the really rich pieces that Anne and I have been discussing is we that if the goal if one is in pain chronic pain particularly or experiencing any kind of disease on a regular basis if the goal is to eliminate the negative experience in order to make way for the positive experience we run the risk of not getting there and depriving ourselves of the safe experience or the joyful experience but we also don't build any kind of resilience when we're just waiting in suffering. Um, and so there's this beautiful dovetail. And, and the question that rises to the surface for me is how, well, what we were posing is how do we expand safety within ourselves, which can express itself as joy, as steadiness, as calm, as confidence, um, as a willingness or an ability to meet and connect, how do we how do we cultivate that even though we might be 
having chronic pain, or maybe it's just feeling overwhelmed or feeling distress so that we're not waiting for the lack of a thing to move toward, you know, the, the, the gift of a thing. We don't have to wait to receive. And so we are going to be talking about that from a very science driven perspective, but from a kind of philosophical day to day living perspective, I have been thinking a lot about that, um, particularly because I had my kiddos this week and it, it's always intense, but it's also so amazing and it's hard to drive all over the place and it's hard to stop and start and it's hard to be managing all their different needs, particularly I mean, you know, as a mom, um, and my kids are eight years apart. So I've got a 17 year old, almost 18 year old and a nine, almost 10 year old, one girl, one boy. And so it's like the cacophony of differences, you know, between them. But this week I've just kept reminding myself, like, how do I, how do I stay in gratitude and enjoy and be present with them? Even when I sometimes want to strangle them or feel frustrated or just feel tired. So, um, Mm -hmm. It was a really, it's been a beautiful week because of that. What's in process, what's in progress. Yeah, that's, that's a really rich um, topic, Chantel. Um, <laughs> you know, and of course, you, when you're talking about like people, like how do you get away from this waiting for the pain to go away uh, in order to feel safe? And immediately my mind leaps to, well, uh, you know, you know, and, and uh, we know that um, the pain science, I mean, pain is multifactorial. Mm-hmm. And so being in a passive state where one is waiting for something or someone else to occur um, is not empowering to an individual. And, and then that can set up kind of a downward spiral you know, in a person where empowerment and, um, and, and then also where, why is the pain so much worse if we're disempowered? And part of it, I think it really has to do with what is the nervous system thinking or, or feeling, or how is the nervous system responding to the pain? Um, You know, why can't a football player get, gut punched and keep going. And if I got gut punched, I'd be on the ground, you know, and my, my perception, aside from being strong or, or differently strong, my perception of that type of pain could be that it's life threatening or to the professional football player, it's not life threatening. And so, you know, there's perception of threat, there's feeling of safety. There's, there's so many, I mean, it's such a rich topic. Yeah. I, I really love, we could like do a whole sidebar conversation on that yeah. alone. <laughs> a series of podcasts. Yes, as there absolutely. Are out there on this topic. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's part of, you know, why I wrote in my, in my book, um, safe movement for all spines, um, and that chapter, um, 11, the language of healing, was inspired in part by the work that um, you and I and Anne did around the nervous system and in really verbalizing, putting down on paper concrete actions that an instructor or a client or a patient or student could do to change the languaging around pain and injury to, you know, start really backing away from some of the just habits that we have in our speech and our language and how to create a safe space. You know, that that was, you know, totally um, inspired by realizing that healing, healing, really, it it can occur um, surprisingly in many situations, and it occurs best when we are in a safe environment. We're, we're an environment that's nurturing. And how do we create that? How can we intentionally, purposefully create that kind of environment? Oh, I love it. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I want to, we're going to come back because I want to hear what's in process and progress for you, but I don't want to lose this thought. So I'm going to say it, um, which is 
we are right now we're um, coming to the end of our 28 day nervous system transformation program that we run a couple of times a year. And one of our students asked about uh, uh, emotional freedom technique, tapping EFT tapping. And um, so I know some about it, but I, I dug in to learn more about it so I could adequately answer her question. And one of the things that I absolutely loved that um, this article I read was saying was the one of the reasons why when you work with a practitioner to do EFT tapping, one of the reasons why it immediately triggers the parasympathetic nervous system is because with this is an assumption we are co-regulating, we are creating safety together, and it makes the work more effective. And I just think it's so true what you're saying, the healing process when we are in relationship with somebody that makes us feel safe, like from a, just from a physiological, not just a psychological or emotional perspective, but from a a physiological perspective, you and I have such established co-regulation, positive emotional reciprocity. That's the language we would use, right? You make me feel good. I make you feel good. Um, uh, and my body changes and I, my, my nervous system settles. And it's from that place where homeostasis is really able to take place because from a safe nervous system, there's an alignment of all the systems in the body and, and that harmonizing means that we have a greater capacity for healing, for learning, for taking in, for being vulnerable. Like, so amen, sister. I mean, it is just so important in all of the relationships we enter, as we know, but particularly in the healing relationships. So thanks for bringing yes. that up. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's totally important. I mean, you can be the best technical instructor or practitioner you know ever and yet if that person that you're working with that you're guiding toward the healing state does not feel safe and it may not it has probably nothing to do with you right they're coming in they're already in pains for example or they they have they they're bringing in their own experience um that uh, establishing the co-regulation or the coherence between the practitioner and the person who's seeking their guidance, it, it's everything. It establishes the whole basis for being able to learn and being able to have an open mind. So, yeah. yeah. So important. So important. All right, lady. Well, let's, let's go back. To, let's circle back. What's in process. What's in progress <laughs> before we go down another rabbit hole. Oh, there's so many rabbit holes. Um, so, <laughs> so do rabbits really make holes? Anyway, the one so. in Alice in Wonderland did. Um, yeah. What's in progress. So progress is the action that's happening right now. in My life is, is my book. I have, mm-hmm created um, over five years, um, a writ- written, and and now it's published, and it's, it's out there, and um, my book, it's in progress, and it's actually, the book is done. What's in progress is getting it out there to the world, and so what's in progress in my life is, is continuing to um, continuing to develop and teach the continuing education course based on the book uh, called The Dynamic Spine, which takes the nine chapters of the book and takes a deeper dive into them for uh, instructors, practitioners uh, to learn more. And then to also really get the book out there because the whole purpose is to help people um, we can help so many more people by providing a resource than by we, there's no way you can meet one-on-one with every person or even do small groups with all the people that may need to learn something that you have to offer. And so that's my, that's my in progress right now. And that has been a uh, total focus. It's actually been total focus for the last two to three years and was, yeah, a long time. And, um, 
And I'm, I'm just so excited and honored that, you know, I actually was published as like a, you know, who, who the heck is Glenn Miller? And I, and I actually am published by an actual publisher, you know, it's just like, wow, this is really, you know, and, and so what's in process right now, I've got a couple of things in process, um, in process in my own internal space, I am really like almost taking a little, I'm so excited. And of course, working very hard to get the word out about the book. Um, and, and then I also am really um, sitting with that excitement and realizing this is a pretty big accomplishment. And, and I deserve to teach myself how to sit with that and just enjoy it. I've not been someone who just sort of sat on my laurels and not that I'm sitting on my laurels now, but I've, I've always been the type of person who was like, okay, so that's great. What's next. And I just feel like that in order to honor the amount of energy and love that has gone into these projects, that it's okay to kind of just feel happy about it and not feel like I have to like do the next thing. So that's, and that's an internal and it's, and it's actually, it's, it's joyful. I had a, I had a dream um, last week that I was 106 years old and I was laying on my bed and my family, my sons were there with me and I was, I was tiny and I've never been tiny in my life, you know, but, but I was tiny in my dream and I just had this big smile on my face and I felt satisfied like I was satisfied and then I was talking with someone who um I I'm uh, mentoring with every week and and she said yeah and why wait till you're 106 and I thought to myself you know <laughs> that's right because I woke up from the dream feeling like really good and so that's that's my work is to allow myself to feel that way without depending on the next thing. And then mm. the uh, the other piece of what's in process is the second book. And uh, <laughs> no, speaking the, of not rushing to do the next thing. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Chantel is I started writing two books at the same time. I and recall they're, that they're very different books, and I realized when you guided me to read there was a the one thing I think was a book we've gone through and we've actually done that work over many many years as as you've helped me as I've gone to different turning points in my life you know um, I can I can easily rationalize just doing more without giving something up I don't know if anyone yeah. else ever feels that way but it's like yes I can do it all and then more you know and mm-hmm. and um, so, so, but, but I realized that as I was trying to write these two very different books at the same time, that I needed to make a choice because if I continued writing two books concurrently, they were not going to get done. And so I made a decision to table the other book and focus completely on safe movement for all spines because I felt that that was the one that I thought would help more people. Mm. And so now I'm not, you know, I know it's going to help a lot of people. And now as I'm thinking two, three years later, as that book has now been published, looking back at the other book and going, yes, and the other one is going to help people too. It's just going to help them in a different way. That's right. So... Yeah. Well, I'm so curious about this first thing that you've shared um, of allowing yourself to experience the joy of this accomplishment. And I wonder if you can speak to that through the lens of embodiment, because you're not just, I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but that you're not just reflecting on that as an intellectual concept but there's there's more to 
allowing yourself to experience that, that includes your, the wholeness of yourself. Can you, can you say more about that? Yeah, I, I can. And actually, um, I think the drive to keep doing more, keep learning more, keep, you know, more, more, more is, um, at some point, I, I believe that, you know, I've reached a point that I need to accept myself for who I am, what I am, what I stand for, what do I represent, what am I bringing forth into the world. And, and I, and I feel like that this, the, the striving to continue producing output, um, it's, it's antithetical to what I'm advising other people to do, which is like, chill out, learn how to breathe, you know, um, you know, back off, less is more, right? It's kind of like if, if I were not adhering to my own personal physical exercise practice every day, I would not feel like I had the right to authentically advise other people as to how I would suggest they move their bodies. Okay. And so the embodiment of that is to really like listen to myself and be able to communicate to myself what it is that I need in the present moment. Um, and, and to walk my talk. Um, it's if I'm if I'm a stressed out mess, you know, running hither thither, trying to help every person who knocks on my door, and of course that is my tendency. And yes, I will, I will stretch that extra mile when someone really comes to me and and needs, you know, my skill set. Um, and at the same time, um, the embodiment of being in a healing profession, which we all are, um, it, it means that I need to be able to self-regulate because I cannot co-regulate with someone to a healing state if I'm a mess. And so that's my embodiment is that I have to come to a place where I can let that energy flow through me. See, I, I you know, it, we're going to, I'm going to go somewhere. Just, just come yeah, with me it. for the ride. Absolutely, I don't always. believe <laughs> that as an individual in this realm that, you know, like I've, I don't think I've got any superpowers. I have studied and worked really hard and I've developed some skill sets and I'm standing on the shoulders of those who came before me with those skill sets. And I acknowledge everyone I've learned from. And thank them, and I am grateful. And I think that the the healing energy really comes through the practitioner. We're 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 a channel, okay. And that word may sound like really foofy to someone, but if you think about those times where you are in flow in a session or in a conversation or in any relationship where suddenly you just sort of know the answer or you, you just know what to say, you know, that's, is that coming from you or, you know, or are we sourcing, are we receiving energy from somewhere else? And I think in order to really be clear to receive and pass through healing energy, um, we need to embody the that self care, so that we're not. We're, otherwise, we're blocking the energy. This is what I believe. So, yeah. So Thomas Hendrickson, Doctor Hendrickson, um, who is my mentor for uh, orthopedic manual therapy. Um, there's a story in the book in chapter eleven that talks about when uh, he and his wife. Uh, traveled to Haiti to volunteer as body workers there. They they speak French in Haiti, and I don't speak French, so I'm probably going to like slaughter the pronunciation. But they they called him Dumas, and du is two in French, and ma is hands. Okay, 
And so they called him two hands. And he explained what that meant was one hand was the technical expertise, what we study, what we learn, you know, our experience, our background. And the second hand was guided by the spiritual energy that we can channel when we are in coherence with the energies around us and we have self-regulated so that we can co-regulate with the person that we're working with. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It makes me think about, uh, well, something you said that when you're not honoring that for yourself, then we you're limiting or blocking flow. And um, I want to speak to that because I think a lot of the folks who are drawn to this podcast and listening are are curious about how to bring um, more embodiment, how to get on that journey or how to continue the journey of bringing more embodiment, more wholeness to their work, to their lives, to their experience. And they don't always know where to start. And so I'd love for you to share um, what are some of the things that you have done to cultivate that practice of embodied embodiment or embodied awareness to to your life, to your work? And you can speak from either perspective. Um, either perspective of your life personally, maybe, or uh, from or professionally. And I guess I'm thinking of like in the context of uh just having known you and worked with you for so long now all of these major um things you've accomplished and being in process with you through these major things what have you leaned into to get you through the stuck places and into the place of flow yeah well it's been a long process and i'm not i think the the first time I I think it was defining and you helped me with this back in skillful teaching what 10 15 years ago um, defining kind of what were my what was my purpose what did I think I was here for and that's a big question like what are you know what do you got here for and it's funny because I just had a dream the other night that I was watching myself walk along a muddy road and I kind of came out of the dream thinking, if I'm watching myself, who am I? Who's behind me watching me walk the muddy road? I, it was just like, who am I? You know, and so, but the the initial, like, you, you know, defining what is my purpose. And I decided that my purpose was, uh, my calling is to help facilitate healing. And so then taking that, that one, and of course it was like two paragraphs and, you know, you're a brilliant wordsmith and you helped me pare it down to those three words because otherwise I'd still be talking about it. Um, but to help facilitate healing, and when I say facilitate, is because I am not of the mindset or the ego set to think that I'm going to heal somebody. People heal themselves and I'm helping them learn how. And so, so that then if I held that definition of my purpose, that lends up to how I was spending my time, um, then I could measure my activities and my time expenditure against that higher purpose. And of course, there had to be another purpose too, is raising children. And the other purpose was to maintain a safe um, environment so that my children could grow up and be, be successful and happy. Okay, so there was like a dual. There was a mom thing and there was a professional thing, you know, a more of a my purpose thing. And so starting off with just making those definitions of what were those two most important things in my life and then you know, working with you to get cut through all the rationalization. Well, this is helping people. Well, yeah, but it's not really, you know, it's too much, you know, and cutting out things that we're taking away from energy um, that, you know, fractured in energy. Um, if we're pulled in too many directions, 
we will just exhaust ourselves spinning our wheels. So we need to make sure that our actions and our words are in keeping with our intention. And the intention, I think that's the most important point of clarity. And that can change over time. Yes. You know, that can evolve. So, but that, that was the basic um, beginning. And then as I've gone through years and years and years and years, um, there's been refinement on that idea. And so one of the biggies for me is how do I identify if I'm spending energy in a place that's not in keeping with my intention or my higher purpose? And, and so being able to identify, you know, I'm not looking forward to doing this thing, or I don't feel good after I did this thing, or I, I, I feel my energy is drained after this interaction, you know, these types of feelings. And so I started looking at my languaging toward myself. And one of the big experiments was to cut the word should out of my life. So I stopped using the word should. And it was very interesting. Um, I actually um, went to a, was blessed to see Wayne Dyer back in the 70s or 80s, back when he still had most of his hair. And, you know, was it was only a few hundred people in an auditorium somewhere in the East Bay. And um, he talked about transformation. And, and I was mesmerized. And I remember him saying, um, if you say that you should be doing this or that or the other thing, he said, you know, you just... He, he said, stop shooting all over yourself. Like he, he was, you know, and so I, that's also. Which has become such a popular phrase, you know, that yeah. we use. Which is so it's so apropos though, right? To yeah. the experience that we have internally when we, when we are battering ourselves well, with what we, well, we just, doing. We just don't say, you know, like I should go pet the cat. You know, yeah. it's, it's usually should is something that we're either, judging ourselves, guilting ourselves, or trying to make ourselves do something we don't really want to do. Well, you know, I mean, I know, realistically, we all have to take the garbage out. And probably nobody looks forward to that. You know, that's not the type of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the type of thing where we get stuck in a, a, you know, commitment of time that sucks our energy away from our higher purpose and that we get stuck in kind of the hamster wheel. And mm-hmm. so that is, you know, that, that takes, it's, it's been quite a process, especially for people pleaser. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just such a high achiever and a doer. I mean, all of these qualities, I think at least the latter two you and I have yes. in common. I'm not so much a people pleaser <laughs> as I, the people yeah. closest to me would, would, you know, acquiesce. I want to I want to summarize though because you said so many beautiful things. So it feels like this embodied journey is about starting from clarity. So I love that you have said that from your experience the clarity came from purpose and you know that was true for me too and probably why I encourage you to take that line of thought because it is so clarifying when we know what our purpose is, or we can discern in some way a little bit more what our purpose might be. And that is some, for some folks, just that, that even the phrasing is an impossible task. You know, we can phrase it in a lot of different ways. What are we called to do? What are we drawn to do? What is our heart asking of us? What, what are we naturally gifted at that we do throughout our lives, no matter the context, our age, our situation that really feeds us consistently, you know, and I, I know when I asked that question of myself, the realization was stunning and so powerful and directive, which is I am a teacher mm-hmm. in all the forms I take teaching in facilitating growth, just like you say, I'm here to facilitate healing. It gives us so much steadiness. And then to set an intention from that about so that we can be in alignment. And then you, then you mentioned that you, when you are feeling out of alignment, you kind of, you, and this is where I want to pause for a moment, but you, you said, well, there's a series of questions kind of that you ask yourself when something starts to feel off. And I want to, I want, I want to invite you to say more about 
how do you know when it's time to start asking yourself those questions to discover whether or not you're on the right track? Right. And that is when the joy is is not as present. I, I feel like my, my waterline in life and how I know that I'm on the right track is I feel that my heart, it's not always bubbling over with joy, but my heart is expanded and I feel a quiet joy, ever-present joy. I feel a satisfaction and a happiness and it's a steady state. It's not like the, the burners on high and the tea kettles whistling, you know, it doesn't always have to be like this. wee you know, kind of a thing, but it's a steady state. Just, you know, the corners of my mouth are turned up because that's how I feel inside. And when I begin to feel frazzled, disquiet, um, resentful, exhausted, you know, and, you know, any of those type of kind of more of a, of a down, uh, more of a, I'd have to say negative, um, you know, emotional state. That's, that's when I know, and it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can just be like, you know, if I, I wake up and I'm tired and I think to myself, okay, well, this is a sign that something needs to happen differently, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you take that yeah. little clue. It, it, it means listening to yourself. I was just going to say, I mean, what you're really talking about is establishing a, a, a practice of listening, which I think we just are not taught to do. Right. right? We are taught to override tiredness, override disquiet, override despair and push toward the next thing, whether we're people pleasing or we're self pleasing, like whatever the drive is, our inability to listen to the nudges, whether it's like, oh, I'm having GI stuff or I'm hat like, um, you know, or I'm having pain somewhere in my body or I'm simply just tired or I'm agitated and that is abnormal for me or whatever it might be is that deep listening is a, is a significant part of living an embodied experience. Right. Right. And, um, and then, you know, that the listening and then also, you know, I want to say something about gratitude too. I feel like gratitude has been a huge tool for for me to kind of get to more of a center ground um if i'm if i haven't been able to listen to myself and i'm a lot better now but at the start i wasn't particularly great about listening until until the noise became very loud you know my body was yelling at me and so to get back to that middle ground and kind of that center state I practice and I still do at times when I need to uh, something that I call uh, flipping it. And so if I am, uh, you know, disquieted or disgruntled about something, I start thinking about it in the exact reverse. You know, the house is a mess. I have a house. You know, I mean, just as a simple example, and some people call it making a gratitude list and, you know, not to say that you can not to say that this is this is all you need to do, because I also find that gratitude lists and and utilizing gratitude as a tool to change my inner state so that I could move forward. That can also be a crutch and that can also be a trap if it's used in a way that um, the gratitude it turns into stuffing feelings that really have value. Um, it's not to say the feelings are not, you know, valid. 
Um, it's just a way to be able to maybe back away from being in the midst of the storm, manage a little bit by detachment, come to a calmer place so that one can then think, okay, how do, what steps do I need to take in order to not visit that place again? You know, yeah. and that requires action. Yeah. Well, I would think too, what comes to me is before action is this deep awareness that you are clearly demonstrating and sharing happens. Um, and, and I love that you're articulating the difference between flipping it and being reflective. So you're, you're listening, you're becoming aware and you're taking some small action and it's not about stuffing it down. I think we might call that spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. Some folks, you know, it's like we're just putting a Band-Aid on a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not about that. But here's my translation of what you're talking about, which is when you do that little moment of flip and the way you're describing it is it just settles you. It gives you space. Like you, you did all of these gestures and you said all these things that make me think, Yes. So really what we're doing when we're giving gratitude and there's some really great, um, there's a great podcast with uh, Dave Asprey and Dr. Stephen Porges, where they talk about the link between gratitude and the nervous system. Um, and it's like that pausing, that reflection, that just ability to return to a more ventral state, a calm state, a safe state allows us to stay in connection, Right. We can stay connected to ourselves. We can stay connected to others. And then, and then it gives us enough state space to say, now what choice do I need to make? Mm -hmm. Do I need to do something different or do I need to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really love that from the perspective of a tool or strategy when we are feeling overwhelmed and, disquieted or whatever stressed that we can say, I just need a little space so that I can continue to stay in connection. And, and then I'm going to, and then, and then I can actually do whatever needs to come next as soon as I can do it. Because we all know that in our busy lives, we, we sometimes, we just simply have to keep going. Right. Yeah. But practice makes that reflex arc happen sooner. It's like when yeah. I was first trying to start to meditate and, you know, I was like, oh, I, I just, I, oh, I couldn't do it. I was like, how do you people sit there and how do you like stop thinking of things <laughs> and whatever? And so I started using Tibetan singing bowls. And so I have a collection now of a dozen and a half Tibetan singing bowls in all different tones that go to the different chakras. And I love it. I love the tones. And striking a bowl or playing the bowl, the vibration, which is, I think, one of the things about EFT that works, too. It's a vibration. If you think about yeah. chanting, it's sound. It's all vibration. Every spiritual tradition in the world uses some kind of chant or sound. But at any rate, the Tibetan singing bowls, I would be, you know, playing them, striking them. And then I could just sit there and focus on, you know, four in, four out, breathing, for example, until the ringing dissipated and it would give my mind something to focus on. And I would find that state where, you know, your brain kind of like lifts up out of your head and you feel like, oh, okay, I've just, I've just connected with all that is. Um, and now after practicing that over years, I can strike a bell, I can strike a bowl and it be there in five seconds. I mean, yes. literally, yeah. So the practicing is, I think that's that's what just just like any other muscle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have the have had the same experience both with meditation and with the nervous system work. That the results that I can get and the the I can just shift so quickly these days after years of practicing doing, becoming aware, recognizing, acknowledging, and then taking some kind of supportive action. Um, so I wonder, I'd love for, I'd love to spend then the last few minutes that we have talking about your book from a couple of different perspectives. One, I'd love people to know you a little bit better. So 
I wonder if you would share, if you could choose three words that would describe yourself as a entrepreneur or creative person or however, how do you identify? Let's start with there. If you could give yourself one to three words, what do you, what do you most identify as these days? Teacher, teacher, educator. I've always been a teacher and it's just been in different capacities and Mm -hmm. guide, I think. Um, And just, I, I, I I don't know. I just love people. I love to bring out the best in, in people that I are, that walk into my life. Beautiful. I find that to be very true about you. So as a, as an entrepreneur right now, as this, uh, as an author, uh, as a teacher, what would you say are your three the three characteristics that have really supported you in getting where you're at. Clarity, tenacity, mm-hmm. and, and love. This has been a labor of love. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, the, I mean, again, accurately put, I have experienced all of those things from you, particularly your tenacity and your love, <laughs> which I feel is such a gift. So your book, tell me the name, and I can, I just don't want to say it it's, because I cannot get all the <laughs> It's a long title, but the publisher liked it. It's a safe movement for all spines. The subtitle is a guide to spinal anatomy and how to work with 21 spine and hip conditions. And the subtitle came from the publisher. Um, they like numbers and, uh, and you know, it's, it's all it's all good. Um, the book, well, the brain likes numbers. We like to know what to expect. Yes, and so you know, my the reason I wrote the book was because I was just repeatedly over years having clients and students tell me I needed to write a book because I educate as I go as I'm working with people. I'm explaining the why. I'm explaining how processes work and the reasoning behind what we're doing. And so I sat down to write this book and basically did a brain dump and then went backwards and, and just found the research to prove that what I knew was accurate. So (laughs) it was pretty funny, but um, it was, it was a lot of work. It's all research backed. Um, The, there are, 11 chapters and nine of them are about specific conditions, condition or area of the body. And they start off with a story about someone that I know, or maybe me or someone that I know and have worked with. Um, And then I go into what is it? What does it look like and feel like? And what do I do? Because I initially was writing it for people that actually have, the thing that's going on, you know, osteo disc stenosis, you know, uh, spondylolisthesis, um, hip issues, sacrum, SIJ, scoliosis, you know, hypermobility. Um, and, and, but then uh, I also wanted it to be for teachers. So what my intention is, is that anybody who picks up the book finds something appropriate for them and they can just go to the chapter of interest. And if they are a lay person, um, they will find information about what they're dealing with uh, in their body and what to do. And then there are some exercises on the website for the book that are video um, and that will keep expanding. And then if they're a teacher of someone who has something going on, it's like, gosh, until for 20 years, someone would walk into my studio and they'd say, I have this and such going on. And I would be doing the research for every single client. And so this is like a really great resource because it's a starting point for practitioners that you can just flip the chapter open and go, okay, that's right. 
and even you know those of us that have been teaching for many many years and we yeah we basically we're smart we've done our research we know what we're doing but it's still nice to have it in a in one place and to get the affirmation that we're on the right track and also to get some new ideas maybe and off and then exercises to offer the client and so i you know it's a resource that's meant to make people's lives better and easier um in practice so that's you know i wrote it to be understandable usable um not to talk over anybody's head not to talk down to anybody so and that was i had a lot of people review the book and lay people review the book and my sister-in-law was a great one she'd she'd send me back the critiques and and she'd be like i don't even know what this word means so <laughs> i'd be like okay thank you <laughs> you know that's a good one to you know either define or cut or say differently or whatever you know so it's a big big project huge project and then in in tandem we were supporting you in creating curriculum you had already designed started from the book but to fine tune that and i i want to lift up a final thing one your your care your investment in the care of other people is so apparent just even with the last thing that you said of having all kinds of people and all kinds of lay people read the book to make sure that it was accessible, accessible. Your dedication to, to change for people is, is really clear. And I'm, I, I just wanted to lift that up, but there's something I feel like that is unique about this book that we have kind of touched on in little bits and pieces, which I got such a beautiful taste of when I was working with you on the curriculum and then working with you on your marketing and what you were saying about the work and why it is important. And my, from my, I will share my perspective and then I would love for you to share your perspective, obviously on this is that it is not to me, this material it's not just enough that you're you're addressing a physiological or a bio, you know a mechanical thing. You're not just it's not just bones and muscles. It's not just alignment. It's not just pathology. It is your desire to support people in loving themselves more, in caring for themselves more, in shifting the way they see their experience and their body. Um, and that came through over and over and over again in in ev- all of your messaging, and and particularly in this evolution of chapter eleven, which we, you were describing around language. And so I feel like this book is different than so much of what we could pick up for, you know, shoulder health or spinal health or pelvic health or knee health or whatever it might be. It really to me, the underpinning motivation is very apparent that you want to help people not just get out of pain, but to love themselves and have more compassion for their experience. Now, I would love to hear what is your take on that? What's what has been the, that driving force for you in this book? The yes, and you're absolutely right. I the driving force is to help people to help people heal, to help people move away from a fear-based existence, you know, and into a love-based existence to be happy. Um, I mean, you want to talk about Joseph Pilates for a nanosecond. One of his famous quotes is, uh, physical fitness is the first requisite of happiness. And I think that rings so true and it's not that we all have to be like some like extraordinary athlete. It's just that when we are bound by our bodies, there's a certain like loss of freedom. And I feel like that our spirits to be free, we are, can best feel that freedom when we are functioning um, well, when we're functioning as optimally as we can. And so my my driving motivation is that I, I truly believe that everybody, when 
given the correct tools and guidance and learning can be empowered to help themselves uh, in their own environments to do, you know, move, live in a way that is, you know, in keeping with their best health and their best interest. And everyone is their own best teacher. Um, You know, when I'm working with uh, clients and, you know, I'll tell them, I mean, I give them permission to stop before I say stop. And I give them permission to say out loud, ask me questions out loud. And, you know, otherwise I can't hear you, you know, I mean, (laughs) how am I supposed to, and I tell them, you will feel something, you know, before my teacher's eye can see it. So when you feel something happening, if you don't think it's right, it's not stop. And then let me know. You know, so empowering people to learn to listen to themselves and to validate how someone is feeling so that then we can kind of set that groundwork so then there can be an evolution of healness and and wholeness and and health that can be fostered. It's 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 just really important to me. A hundred percent we can when we're empowered, it's, it's, you know, it's not the teacher who needs to be to have 100% of the power. I feel like that the person who's entering a class or entering a relationship with a movement practitioner, that person also needs to have the say so over their own body and have that guidance. And so that's why this book started out for me and still is two pronged. It's, it has to be. There has to be education and acknowledgement of a person's self-determination and self-efficacy and empowerment um, that, you know, they can say, hey, this doesn't feel right, you know, and they can know some, some of my, some of the people that I've worked with actually have told me they've, they're now in a position where they're like, they can change a movement or an exercise for themselves and and it sparks curiosity in their teachers because it's done in a loving way yeah so that's it's just it's a long answer to a short question Chantel. you know me i'm a talker <laughs> but um but i feel like that empowerment is a real key for us that we when we take personal responsibility and we step into an empowered place I feel like that gives us a self-determination that leads to a, a healing state. It's another way to get to the healing state. And so this is why I wrote the book the way I did. And, you know, this is, I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I just, you know, kind of want to get the word out. Because well, here you are it's, getting the it's word about, out. I thank you for that. And and it's it's about helping as many people as I can. You know, it's like if you're a teacher, grab the book, use it as a resource guide. You know, I mean, you know, the it's it's not expensive. Clients and students can purchase it, have it as a resource, you know, the teacher training course that um, you really helped me with because again, it can be the best teacher training course in the world, but if nobody knows about it, it's not going to do anybody any good, you know, and you have a way of crafting what could be a pretty dry subject, you know, being able to explain this hugeness of this project. And in the teacher training course, it's like, yeah, make copies of the stuff and use them as handouts for your clients. Let's make it easy. Let's use it as a foundation. Let's make it easy so that we're you know, really able to tune in to the person that we're with, you know, and, and do the best good that we can. Well, you are an absolute inspiration. And thank you for spending time with me. You just everything that you've said in this last hour, continues to spark connections for me. And I think empowerment is not a word I would necessarily have associated with an embodied experience. But the way you have described listening, trusting, being able to vocalize, putting people in a safe place where they feel like they can trust not only you, but themselves to say, this doesn't feel right. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. To me, you you are also facilitating an entirely embodied experience of 
how they're working with themselves and, and in this specific case with their spinal conditions. So I think that's really, it's been very eye-opening for me and supportive and thank you. And I was also thinking that I just need to say out loud what a gifted life I have to be in relationship and working with people like you and the other folks that we are working with. Anne and I got off a really powerful call with an integrative medicine doctor we're now working with um, and to help her develop her, her education and her coaching. And it's just the caliber of folks that come into our sphere that we have the honor of helping is overwhelmingly amazing. So thank you for being a part of that. Oh, it's my honor. It's my pleasure. It's been, you know, and continues to be just a great partnership. Yeah. So so, yeah, it's, and, and the um, help and the partnership, it continues to grow as my business and my ventures and my projects have grown, you know, it's, we've grown together. Absolutely. And so there's, there's just, it continues to just everything just continues to up level. I'm, I'm extremely grateful. um, You know, I mean, part of the work that we did actually, you know, the outline for the book publishing proposal, I landed my first choice publisher. I mean, who, who am I, you know, who's Gwen Miller? It's like, is an unknown to actually get a book published by a large and traditional publisher. It's, amazing it's amazing and that was you know it's like it's like being able to describe you know so i think we all have our strong suits we've all got our genius and um and so being able to identify too like where's my area of genius and where is not my area of genius and I'm not necessarily going to be a genius in all areas. So I have to bring in other geniuses. That's right. That's right. Are, yeah. So, that. you know, then we, then we have a genius club. Oh my and God. We all get a lot done. It's amazing. It's the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. We are going to make sure that everybody knows how to get your book, where to find you, what you're up to. And those, all those things will be in the show notes, but, as we close, is there one thing, if somebody is like, I love this gal, I want the book, I want to learn more about her, where's the one place you would point them? Well, I've got a beautiful website that is uh, GwenMillerStudio.com, and that has information on the book, the course, and it's got a contact page for me. Great. So that would be the easiest way. So it is G-W-E-N, Gwen, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, no space, dot com. And and start there. It's easy. Okay. Well, That's, there you go. Yeah. And then we'll give you lots of other ways in which to um, follow Gwen and see her pictures and hear about the process because you're on. You're like you know doing some cool stuff right now. Um, but thank you again so much for being with me. And um, in fact, I'm going to share this podcast uh, raw footage right away because I want people to hear about it and then we'll do a produced version of it later <laughs> so uh, oh, sweet I know can't wait yeah it's it's wonderful I so appreciate you in my life Chantel you and Anne and you know I just I just love you it's it's you know you've been um, it's been an extraordinary partnership and trajectory that we're on I appreciate everything. Agreed. Agreed. And here's to many more. Yes. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. We are so thrilled you were able to listen to Chantel Lopez and Gwen Miller today about her book, Safe Movement for All Spines, A Guide to Spinal Anatomy. You are now listening to the voice of Anne Bishop. I was unable to be with them live on the recording. And what I wanted to share with you all as an actual little extra is I was able to meet Gwen in person, believe it or not. Um, Although Chantel and I work with many people um, all over the country, all over the world, Gwen is actually local to us. And we had such a lovely time chatting. And she even mentioned to me that 
one of the things that really inspired her and created the foundation for her book was the Embodied Course Creation Program, which we are launching on August 21st, 2023. And so if you are a big thinker in the movement embodied business world, whether that's Pilates, yoga, gerotonic, if you are someone who is highly intellectual, but really loves the body and feels a connection to it, this embodied course creation course is really built to be aligned for your needs. One of the things that we want to guarantee the people who take this course is that you will just choose your topic because some topics are better to launch and create for a eight to 10 week course than others. And we'll help you decide what the best topic is for you in your industry. The second thing that we'll do is we'll get you up and going with tech. And yes, that includes AI. We have to continue to stretch ourselves and be in this wonderful world of both embodiment and also technology. So we'll be really diving into that in this first cohort where we'll be introducing AI to you all and how to use that to make curriculum super fast and also finding the correct prompts to support you in really designing curriculum that is useful and embodied and engaging. And then thirdly, our goal is really to help you by the end of the 13 weeks that you sell and receive your first deposits for your course because all of the people who take our program have incredible integrity and we know once that money is in the bank, you are not going to come up with any more excuses for not getting your course out into the world. And so once again, the Embodied Course Creation course launches August 21st. If you are interested in getting into this course and having your course created before 2024, we encourage you to get on a clarity call for the Embodied Course Creation and hop on a call, chat with me, chat with Chantel, and we'll see if the course is the right next step for you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.